Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who once spent two days with Bruce Willis, got smeared with chopped liver by him, but never met the guy. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay, me again! I'm back! I'm bigger than ever! I'm so big! Uh, the Bruce Willis story, I, it's kind of, it's a crazy showbiz story that, uh, that I always try to tell up top. So, and I know he's ill right now, so I'm not going to speak ill of him, but it was just a really weird experience. I got cast in the movie Blind Date as Kim Basinger's boyfriend, who she dumped in order to go to this party with Bruce Willis's character. People who know the movie Blind Date will know this scene. So uh, I show up. It's two days work, but mostly my job is there's a scene where I'm with her that got cut out of the movie. And then in the scene that made the cut, I say something like, Karen, what are you doing here? And then he, Bruce Willis, is kind of on dr- his characters on drugs, and he proceeds to take a tray of chopped liver and just smear me with it, like in my face, on my clothes, in my hair. It's all over me. And, and I'm so startled that I go along with it. It's a stupid joke. But Blake Edwards is directing, so it was my chance to work with him. So, but here's the weird thing. We must have done, I'm not exaggerating, 12 takes of me getting covered with chopped liver. But at no point did Bruce Willis or Kim Basinger introduce themselves to me. Like... Who doesn't do that? It was so weird. And I just kept, then what would happen was we'd shut down for an hour. I would have to get redressed, put on a new suit, get the hair, get the chop liver out of my hair. And then we'd come back and he would smear me again for 15 minutes with chop liver. And then we'd say cut. And I have to do the same thing. It was like Groundhog Day with chop liver. But I just, it was one of those weird experiences where I, I, when you're a guest on a movie set or you're a guest star on a TV show, you never go up to the star and say, hey, how you doing? I'm Tim Steck. You wait for the star to say that or somebody else is going to introduce you. Well, nobody introduced me to them. So <laughs> I, I worked for two days, got covered with chopped liver, and I never met the guy. So that's that story. Uh, today, we have a wonderful guest, an old friend, a guy who I really, uh, I just can't, I Thank him every time I see him because he really uh, took a big chance on me and nightstand with Dick Dietrich. Anyway, let's play a little clip as an intro to Larry Little. I'm Dick Dietrich. Tonight on Nightstand, we look at sexaholics, the problem, the cure, and where to meet them. Okay, so... My guest is Larry Little. He is the former VP of Warner Brothers Television, president of Spelling Entertainment, and president and CEO of Big Ticket Entertainment. Give a hand to Larry Little. Yay! But most of all, he sold the show Nightstand with Dick Dietrich, which, of course, uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a lot about Nightstand because there's still so many people who just love that show. Larry, I don't know if you still run into people who say like, oh my God, that show, that was insane. Tim, when I run into people who I don't know, we start talking about uh, what do you do for a living? What did you do? And we start reminiscing about our respective uh, um, uh, careers. 
Uh, invariably, I mentioned a few shows among uh, Nightstand with Dick Dietrich because it was one of my favorite shows of all time. And it was the show that had actually launched my production company. Uh, so I have a, uh, a great affinity for it and it's reciprocated. Just to sustain what you said, um, anytime you mention uh, the shows, Nightstand, invariably i love that show that show was crazy that yeah. guy and and they go on so yes you you are correct i it uh, had a impact on a certain segment of the pop culture that still today uh hangs on yeah it's really no cool. it's just i i i'm much more you know my other big show i'm putting big in quotes was son of the beach but i swear nobody asks about that show what they ask about is nightstand. They say like, when can you, how do you, who owns it? How do you do it? I always say the same answer. CBS owns it. I don't even think they know they own it. Yeah. I, I, and well, they know they own it. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, you, uh, you will go on, on, uh, you will go on to their streaming situations Yeah, and uh, you will see it. You will see it. Um, uh, but, but, but uh, here, here, here's what, what I think. I think that, um, Shows like Nightstand with Dick Dietrich uh, were inexplicable in their gestation yeah. uh, and their birth and then their success. And, uh, and there's a fascination with the, you know, the, with the underdog, David Goliath, whatever you want to throw out those cliches. Yeah. Um, but it's true. And it, it's, I, I don't know if you remember this. It's original conceit, so is our conceit that I was, and you do was we were going to take on and be counter-programming to a stale Saturday Night Live. Yes. I can remember really, one really. I can remember one of the ads being Saturday nights are funny again. Yeah. And and and, and by the way, we did around close to a three rating, which is extraordinary in today's terms. I mean yes. come close oh to being God. a point three, not to mention a 3.0. Right. Um, uh, uh, so it yeah, when when you think about the conceit uh, and I was just reading about Lauren Michaels coincidentally this morning as he approaches, I guess, 80 and uh, he, he, and, and how um, integral to the conversation SNL, SNL is well transcending being a hit television. Yes, 100 okay. percent. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. its own planet almost. So planet. I want to talk about Nightstand in a second, but I want to go back and just. I, I know a little bit. I know you're from New York. I know we're both old New York Giant fans. But yeah. but uh, how did it all happen? I know you went to New York and then you went to, on to Wisconsin. Well, here, here's how it happened in a nutshell. It's always cool to talk about yourself, and I don't often anymore have that question asked. I used to a lot, but no <laughs> more. And in fact, I went from who's who to who's he. Yeah. Um, but I, I know I that feeling. That I, 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 <laughs> and I'm on television. I, I, I know that, that feeling. I say that proudly. I, I you know, anyway, uh, although my kids mock me for that all the time. <laughs> so I was a New Yorker, Big Ten educated, Wisconsin undergrad, Northwestern Medill School of Journalism to avoid law school, frankly. And that's a whole other story right uh, worked in chicago came out to uh, los angeles working for a local tv station did whatever creative needs i had were not being satisfied doing that became an agent at the time in, in 1980 right at the i forgot uh, that you were an agent where were yeah, you an I became agent? an agent at the time the biggest agency in the business icm we had the guy named stan caymans who had every single major star 
I mean, uh, Sue Mangers, that gave us right. was a William. We we had Sue Mangers. It was the biggest agency, and I started my creative career representing writers and producers and directors. And I did that for four years. And um, and I looked at it, Tim. I said, okay. I mean, this is the literal explanation is not has no nuance to it. But I would look in at clients, and I and nobody ever said thank you. I never. He called me at three in the morning and say thank you. Um, and you were a slave to them, which was perfectly okay. I was thanking them for giving me an opportunity in many ways. Uh, but I looked at it and I said, okay, so this guy is getting a hundred dollars. I'm getting ten. He's getting ninety. I want to get in the action where I get right. ninety. Okay, I really mean that. It, it motivated me to shift my creative gears. And I went to work at Warner Brothers, where I had an incredible run. Well, let's go back to being an Asian again, because okay. I, I'm I can see you business wise. I know you know enough about the business. Obviously, you learned the business, but you're too knowing agents my whole life now. You're too creative a person. That must yeah, have we, driven you a little bit nutty. Oh, it drove me. I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the 90-10 split. But the, the, the main reason it allowed me to uh, to fully fulfill my uh, creative curiosity. Yeah. Truly the case. Uh, the, the byproduct in those days was great opportunities if you succeeded in, in making some real jack. But uh, the, the real impetus to do that, because I could have made money being an agent. I was a great agent. I just didn't, uh, I, I, I didn't like being in the business of servicing other people. I wanted to service with them. Does that make any sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, 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 so and, and I always loved, you know, I, I wanted to do documentary films, but at the time, but I also needed to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Today, you can do documentary films. Oh, my God. Sustainers. People are making fortunes doing them. Right, exactly. It's yeah. Sustainers. In uh, my, uh, you know, as I'm showing my age. No. But, you know. So anyway, so you get a job, you get a job at Warner Brothers as a VP of comedy. Was that your title? I started as VP of comedy. I became the head of all TV. I I matriculated up the ranks. Right. And under my creative um, uh, regime that I led, uh, we had uh, unbelievable hits. We had uh, Nightstand. Night Court. Night, yeah, night court. I want to talk about. I want to talk about night court in the I in the third segment. I, I have great stories about that. Night court, Murphy Brown, China Beach, growing pains. Oh my gosh! Um, Spencer Bahad. We had we had a ton of hit shows, and uh, and I ultimately evolved after doing it for eight years into a producer. I had a great relationship with Warner Brothers, and I had some success. I did a number of pilots, a couple of TV movies, won an Emmy for. One of my movies won an Emmy Award for costuming, and I was it. But I I missed the multitasking and the entrepreneurial ship of of running a company as opposed to just working for myself. I was much better with uh, integrating with other people to make me smarter. Gotcha. Uh, and and uh, so I I was a producer for four years at Warner Brothers, and you know I was doing it, but I and the Warner Brothers. The head of Warner Brothers now is Leslie Moonves, who replaced me. They consolidated Laura. Wasn't Mar- that? Oh, right. The Laura Mar merger. Yes. When they, and I, after I left, they merged them together and Leslie became the head. So I, you know, if I wanted to go back to work uh, as an executive, there was no opening. He was running it. I ended up uh, working uh, for Aaron Spelling as the producer of his company. And how I did met- how did that happen? Because I, I want to well, talk about him a little bit. Yeah, he you was, don't have uh, to. Yeah. I, I'll do all the talking. You don't have to worry when it comes to him, because I had a weird observation about him 
It is part of the nightstand. We'll get to him. But how did how did you you just met him and then went to work for him? Not at all. Um, they 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 were they chased me for a year. I met him through the guys at CA who were his agents. Gotcha. A guy named Bill Haber who was sure. with, with Mike Ovitz owned CAA. He was his agent. He and and a very close associate is a good friend of mine, very close friend Bruce Finnegan, still there. Uh, and they they pursued me and. Uh, I kept saying, are you kidding? I, I don't do that kind of stuff. I wouldn't know how to do the love book. I don't know that. No, no, no. They want you to expand into different horizons. Anyway, I finally said, okay, I'll meet with him. I wouldn't even meet with him because I had met him. And, you know, he was, I wasn't going to go work for him because he's the show, man. I mean, he's the show, yes. you know. And I, and I, I, I want to be part of the show. But he's the show, which is his prerogative. He's most... And I met him at his home. I said, well, I'll come as long as I go to that home. I, was know, he in the big mansion then? That huge oh, yeah. thing? The, the, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it called the manor. They called it, he was the mister and she was the mistress and they lived in the manor, literally. That was the assignation that they got. And I went to that place and it was beautiful. I mean, it became a living oxymoron. Tim. Yeah. It was understated at 56,000 uh, square feet. That's how beautiful it was. Yeah. yeah. It's called a living oxymoron. It's like incredible beauty you expecting early caesar's palace modern right and you walk through the threshold and you go holy cow this is elegant interesting <laughs> yeah and uh so i after a number of meetings with him and um i said uh, and a number of uh, offerings and certainties that he was ready to step back and let other people run it because it was an empire yeah I, I knew if i divided by two and then subtracted three, I could still probably live with what he said. He was offering. And uh, I got there and I would have had to divide it by 30. So, it, it, uh, but I was fascinated. I, I couldn't work. I mean, ultimately, I had a long term deal. Couldn't work with him, but I was fascinated by him. And I ended up with an incredible, uh, odd relationship with a guy in a very reverential manner because he was so different and successful and uh but i met the people that owned his company wayne heising right former Clark. owner of the dolphins and he owned the dolphins he owned the marlins he right owned the, uh, hockey a team i'll tell you a great story the end and a hockey team it took me to a game one night um and uh, uh they, I, especially heising's partner steve berard who's more my contemporary and um, so, right, I remember this now because they really, that's sort of how Big Ticket is like, well, they, they, and I'm they, gonna, I'm gonna they saw you. you and said, "Take get your own company. Oh, yeah, they, they, essentially, yeah, that was yeah. nice. Nice of you to say that. So I'm going to end up this journey with Big Ticket when I end up with you walking into that conference room. Okay. okay, we're going to talk Sorry. about Nightstand on the other side. we got to take a commercial break. I'm talking to Larry Little, an old friend, great, great TV executive. <laughs> Did really, really well in TV in a long time career. Uh, anyway, you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, and we'll be right back.
Hey everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Hey, it's Radio with TV's Tim Sack. I'm talking to old friend, very successful TV executive, Larry Little. That was the theme to Night Court, which, you know, I did a bunch of episodes in Night Court. Very, used to open for Harry Anderson. Great friend, great guy. Yeah. But, I love Harry. Loved Harry. So, but what killed me, and I think it might have been the last time we had lunch, you told me Night Court was your idea. Night Court was my idea. And, and the reason was my idea because I actually had an experience when I was in college at a night court in Philadelphia. Yeah. That uh, were you I arrested went, for something? No, I went to as I mentioned, I went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, undergraduate. And I had a yeah. very close friend who went to Penn in Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, every your, your smarter friend went to my Penn. smart, my smarter. <laughs> um, and I went uh, to visit him. Every year at intercession, we had a, you know, semesters uh, had a break in the middle of January at a couple yeah. of weeks. And we would go uh, to the, uh, go to Penn, you know, smoke a little pot in those yeah. days, go to the palestra to see basketball. Oh, don't get me started. And then afterwards, one of the guys said one night, I went there three years in a row, Tim, this is a great story. And one of the guys said, you know what we got to do, man? We got to get a Pat's cheesesteak and go to night court. And I said, night court? What do you mean night court? He says, they have a court in Philadelphia City. It's not a court. It's an arraignment court. Right. And mostly junkies and hookers. Yeah. Okay. So we go down there and the judge, Tim, was outrageous. He, some, you know, prostitute would come up and he says, Ginger, you again? I, I told you, Ginger, if you come, you're going to have to lock you up. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, 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 and we would be spitting up, you know, muffled on laughter. And about the third night, the first time we went there, Tim, he goes, the three, it was three of us, me and these two guys who penned. Like my, my camp buddy was the guy at Penn. Yeah. You were three, come here. And, and we, were, we were panicked. Right. And, and you know, those gates that swing open, we yeah. went through the swing open and the bailiff comes behind us. He says, you guys are here uh, three nights in a row. What's the deal? <laughs> he says, what's the deal? And one of my friends says, well, 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 well sir. And I said, your, your honor, you, you, you put on a good show. He <laughs> 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 went crazy. You, anyway, we, and, and, and I can't say we became friendly with this guy, but we would show up when I was in Philadelphia and cut to Warner Brothers. I'm a young executive assigned to, you know, be the head of comedy development, which means you're the first stop before the bosses make the, the deal. Right. And I, I, I wrote up a 10 page treatment about my experience called, it was called Night Court in Philly. And I brought it over. I was very good friends with the president of NBC Entertainment, Brandon Tartikoff, and we were very competitive. And I did only one show in my career with him, but did Night Court. And I, anyway, I, so I sold them the treatment I wrote. I had no equity stake. I was an executive. And then he suggested I, uh, I hire one of the writers that were under contract to Warner Brothers. His name was Rhino Week. Who had done Barney Miller. 
Correct. And it was the same flavor. And he yeah. changed it from Philly. And of course, you know, I got a very nice bonus for that. Everybody at Warner Brothers knew it was my idea. He, of course, molded it. Uh, and he made uh, dozens of millions of dollars. Which led my mother to say, that's all they gave you? Are you sorry you didn't go to law school now? <laughs> <laughs> that's a different yeah, but, story. So yeah, then, and then, and then, but quickly tell like, had the Harry, the casting of Harry Anderson. Would, I'm going to tell you the casting of Harry Anderson. And here's what happened. Uh, it was not written for a guy Harry's age. Right. So uh, one of the casting directors said, you guys ought to meet this guy. And I remember they had Jim Burroughs who directed it. And, uh, and Rhino Wiggy called me up to said, come and take a look at this, this guy. We were desperate. We, we were looking at uh, some Marty Sheen. I think we met with this. The, oh the, the, a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, we could have gone. And then Harry came in. You know, you look at him. He's too young. And, you know, I, you, you were friendly with Harry. You know, Harry was a street magician. Oh, yeah. And Harry had a photographic memory. He comes in. He was dyslexic. He would memorize scripts for a table read. Yeah. Yes. For the script, not just his role. Yes. Script. And uh, he came in the first time and uh, he read for us. And he was really good, but he was clearly too young. And, you know, he, he left. Thank you very much. He left. And we all said, you know, we got to use this guy. We said, you know, come in, in and out. We will. This guy's great, but he said, I can't be the judge. And we finally went to people and brought him into the network. And, and the network had little or no enthusiasm for the judge. And I'm sure Jimmy Burroughs probably said, Let, let's just read Harry Anderson. Fuck it. You know, he's not good. We keep talking about him. We need an older Harry Anderson. He went into Brandon Tartikoff. We obviously made a, uh, you know, a test option deal with him. He went into NBC. And I remember Tartikoff calling me when I got back to the office. We were right across the street, Warner Brothers and NBC in Burbank. And uh, he said, I love that guy. He says, too young. I said, Brandon, what else do we have? And we talked about it. And he said, okay, you went with it. And Harry became this. But in the second time you auditioned for us, when we called him back. Yeah. He comes in, and you know this better than anybody, Tim. You go and you say to the writer, oh, you're the writer. I love your script. It's great. Harry said, let me tell you, I love your script. And, go, okay. and he said, I liked it so much, I memorized it. <laughs> and uh, I remember I said, memorize your role? No, no, I memorized the script. And one guy said, I don't believe that. He said, no, no, try me. Just cue me. Just hit me the page and the cue, and I'm ready to go. That's really funny. Page 38. You know, uh, bailiff says, boo, 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 and he goes on for a page and everything. Stop. Stop. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny because, in a way, he conned you. You know, and that's oh, that's what he was. He was. A con he, artist. He, he was a con artist, and he would tell you that right up front, which was part of the con. But he knew that that con was going to work because he had this ability to memorize. That's okay, so, so funny. I mean, just imagine, you know, we, we saw what a benevolent con artist does compared yes. to what the last con artist did to this country and maybe the world. Excuse <laughs> my politics. So uh, let's talk about, now, part of, uh, we're, we're going to jump around because I do want to come back to yeah. uh, tonight's no linear. We don't need to but, do linear. More fun, non-linear. So uh, <clears throat> among the many shows that Big Ticket did besides Nightstand with Dick Dietrich, otherwise this conversation wouldn't be taking place. Larry and Big Ticket TV, uh, I mean, you would have to say your monster hit it was Judge Judy. My, my monster hit was Judge Judy. 
Uh, and it was, you know, it was a monster. It is tough to get a, it was the most successful show in the history of daytime television. It's tough to get a lot of those, but we, yes, it was my biggest hit and we had an, about three or four other really significant hits. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's crazy. And, and, but that well, one, it was our monster, well, you know, but, absolutely. But that one I remember particularly because we were trying to renew Nightstand for its second season and mm-hmm. into your life, which comes Judge Judy. How did she come into your life? I know she had that book, like, Don't Pee on yeah, Me When I'm Standing yeah, yeah, or something. I'm going to tell you how she came in my life. So we formed Big Ticket Television right when we met you. Right. Okay? And we, we were in business about two weeks. We didn't even have furniture. No right furniture in the room. We The first pitch we did of Nightstand, we stood up. Huh? <laughs> Everybody, it was like a huddle. And people are standing. Jay Feldman. Yes, Jay Feldman. Day. I spoke to him last week. Um, uh, so, um, big, now what was the question? I forgot. Was, I was, was, was Judge Judy? Whoa, whoa. Oh, okay. So, so when I started Big Ticket Television um, with my partners at Blockbuster, I talked about the need to expand my horizons. Uh, they weren't interested in me doing one-hour dramas necessarily because Spelling did that. Right. They wanted me to do sitcoms, which was my background mostly at Warner Brothers. And they wanted me to do, you know, create. And I said, I want to get into another form of television, which is first run original syndication. I'd right. never done that. Right. I'd never done that. I'd only done, I'd only done only network broadcast television. Remember, this is the 80s, 90s, and early aughts. Right. Okay? And nightstands you know, for those nightstands. Up until fans about out 2010. There. So those 13 years, the world was dramatically. Anyway. Um, so so uh, I started meeting people who did syndicated television. And uh, I uh, met every producer for a year. I, I wanted to meet the biggest producers who did that form of television because I had never done it. My whole crew was scripted. I remember after the year meeting many, many, many people in that world, I remember just thinking to myself incredibly arrogantly, if I've just met the best and the brightest, I'm going to cream it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh by 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 fortune by circumstance i put the word out i'm interested in first-run television shows that we can put together we had a distribution company at the time called world vision yes. paramount later became my distribution company and uh and uh and and so i started getting phone calls from people and i got a phone call from this agent who said uh there's a woman who's a judge Went to a courtroom show. Now, you know, I was a little kid. I was a very little kid. Divorce court. I remember people's court. I was, you know, I was in college. I, mean, I didn't really watch people's yeah. court. I, Judge Wapner. It was sort of a, a, a punchline. Judge Wapner was a punchline no, to a no. joke. Yeah, because he was, he had no, anyway. So, I, mean, I can't even tell you why I made the deal. So, they, she came. And under the, she met, she told me that I was one of the few people she met with that was great. She met with everybody in town. And she put a cassette in my play, cassette, you know, remember those sure. things? <laughs> Videotape of her appearance and interview in 60 Minutes. They did a profile of her as a, the sitting head of the New York City Family Court. Right. A lot of shit, you know. A lot of, you get the family court, you got, you know, guy's got three kids. He left and went off with his girlfriend. Yeah. And got, it's know. not fun. And her, her performance was exactly what you saw on TV. She'd say, Mr. Stack, shut up. Right. The judge said, I object, Your Honor. You can object. You're out of the court. 
and you go file, I'm going to file out, file it, you know. Okay. And I looked at that thing and uh, she reminded me of my mother. And when I told her that years later, I, I have to apologize to you. She, she bristled at that and suggested maybe her old sister, but not her mother to this day. <laughs> but she reminded me personality wise. Yeah, I remember. I remember Jim Stein telling me that. And who he knew very well. And uh, I decided I'd rather fail than not give it a chance. I knew nothing about syndication. I knew some people who ran TV stations. And, and Nightstand, but it was a totally different world. You're talking about well, daytime. Nightstand was my world in a peculiar sense because it was scripted. Yes, it was scripted and it was, and, half I mean, and it was half hour. And I felt facile about it. And when, you know, when we had a director, who didn't know what, you know, we, we, we would get, I would get in the editing room. We did it. You I know, remember that. Well, remember, so, so it, and that's where you know your background as a producer, an executive. You know, I, it really was a perfect storm for me with this company, Big Ticket Television. Yeah, uh, and um, and so I said, let's do it. And I and I remember telling her five o'clock last. I was probably the last guy that saw it during the day. And I said, but I turned to the agent nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Yay or nay? Nine oh one. It's nay for me. Ooh, I said because. If you want to use me as your stalking horse, because I've never done anything. Right. Uh, you, you, you better close between now and nine tomorrow morning. And they I called the next day and tried to, and yeah, we made the deal. Wow. And, uh, and the rest is, um, it's, uh, it's been a force. It is probably, I don't know what the numbers are exactly in Oprah Winfrey, but it's, if it's not exceeded it as far as it's close to it. Yeah, no, there's, 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 as far as a as far as a business opportunity, certainly as just a TV show. I mean, just a TV show alone, Judge Judy, a business absolutely. opportunity. And I will tell you that is um, it is um, an amazing success story uh, due to the fact that she was great at what she did. And yeah. you know, the pri the primary difference between her and Wagner when she was Wagner had no personality. Every case he would go to his chambers and render a monologue in a monotone way. Right. Judy was so smart. You know, when you rely upon the litigants who are not professional, when that red light goes on, you interview them, they are getting revved up with a red light goes on. So uh, when that happened in people's court, it was deadly. Judy was so good when she saw good litigants, like if you and I were doing it, yeah, she would shut her face and be the traffic cop. When yeah. most of the time, shifts would come and she'd take over. And, and the other thing that comes through with her is... She's legitimately fair. Like she goes out of her way to be fair, and it comes through on the show. We got to take you know, another break. I mean, everybody's definition of fair. The only thing is, is I agree with you, and and it's real. The cases are real. So yeah. equity, if you will, has a financial opportunity for people if they persuade her to a certain you know I, level because of she plays by the rules. That's I think it sort of comes through. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to take our second break. I'm talking to old friends slash TV executive. Larry Little, you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, and we'll be right back.
Hi, it's Larry Little here, and I'm with my friend Tim Stack, and it's radio with TV's Tim Stack, and we welcome you to join us. 23-year-old Nick Foster is suing his ex-girlfriend's current boyfriend, 25-year-old Derek Green, for smashing his car windows with a pipe. Derek claims Nick tried to run him over. Where's the girlfriend? She didn't want to come. She couldn't make it because of work. Didn't want to come sounds like a better answer. Probably. Uh, Mr. Foster, the defendant is your ex-girlfriend's current boyfriend. At the time, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh... That was Judge Judy. I, I want to move on because I want to. I really want to devote some more time to Nightstand. So uh, I, I, I'm going to tell you my what I remember and just jump in at any point because the thing about Nightstand was, and this is what I really attribute to you, is that we had with this agent Jay Feldman who represented my partners Paula Bade and Peter Keiko, and we had we had pitched it around. For some reason, Jay. I kept saying, like, what about Comedy Central or the Ha Network or whatever? And he was like, I'm telling you this thing. There's an opening in syndication. We can sell it. So we go to big ticket TV. But the big change was this time we brought an actress with us to act out a scene. And correct me if I'm wrong. I, How many other times did you in your career as an executive see that where – People actually acted out a scene from the show as part of the pitch. Um, maybe one or two other times. It's just not something that's done. You know, I, my feeling on a pitch is like make things as visual as you can. If you can, especially if you've got built-in jokes, do them. So we brought this uh, actress, Judy Toll, R.I.P. Judy Toll, wonderful comedian who went on to work on the show too. So um, we acted out the scene. But here's the thing. As we mentioned earlier, there's no furniture. We're standing up. And, and Larry had an executive. <laughs> Hang on. There was a table. There was, there was a, table. a table. The table had arrived that morning. There were no chairs. <laughs> when we came back the second time, there were chairs. So, <laughs> hey, this company's doing well. They got chairs now. <laughs> They've done they quadruple their Oh, they're spending money like crazy. They've got chairs. <laughs> So we go in to do it again for, for, for Larry, except this time he's brought out these guys from World Vision. And the thing about World Vision was these guys were sales guys. They didn't care. They were, they're the, sort of the end of the Mad Men era. Like, they didn't care. They just want to sell stuff. And then they want to go to bar. A lot of Catholics on that staff, too. A lot of drinking. Where are we going to drink? You know, where can we get a drink? Like a lot of. And and, and if we're going to go there, they better have a good fucking golf. (laughs) A lot of golf. Um, So so we're talking. So we go and we pitch it for them. But here's the thing. I don't know if you remember this. We come back in, and a couple of things. One was, I've been told the head of the company also went to Wisconsin, the John Ryan, the head of the sales company. And he had played quarterback. So well, I was there. He was ahead of me, but he was the quarterback my first year. He was a senior. Really? Yeah. I had forgotten that. So he's standing off to the side, and I go over to him, and I said, hey, I heard you played quarterback in Wisconsin. <laughs> you ever run into a guy named Bud Dyer? And he looks at me like, what? I said, 
Bud Dyer. And he goes, Bud Dyer was my roommate. So this guy had once, my dad's got Bud Dyer in Doylestown, Pennsylvania to babysit for me and my brother. We thought, he thought it was cool like to have a high school football player. And it was cool. It was like the guy played at the high school. And then he was going to Wisconsin. It was a big deal. So I always thought that that was a, a little bit of a... Because these guys, I know, were looking at you like, what is he thinking? I'm going to tell you, I got I to gotta add to that. Okay, let me tell you, just show you how improbable this was. At the time, as you remember, I'm doing this for your audience, the um, syndicated marketplace was vibrant. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey, uh, uh, the, the, the daytime talk shows, um, uh, the, the, the PM magazines, uh, even, you know, I mean, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, they, and they had this big television convention every year called NatVe. And it basically was housed in New Orleans with a respite every three or four years to Las Vegas. Right. Okay. And it was a, and you would have it always right after the new year. So that postpartum vacation blues, you knew you were going to New Orleans or, even Las Vegas, and one week after you got back from a uh, holiday. Right. Okay, so it was, a, it was the emotional elixir, not to mention every frill and frivolous car drivers and suites, and because you're doing enormous commerce there. But the run up to that January 2nd week starts back in February of the previous year, the latest the summer. Right. They're already talking I about the it. Ticket after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. And you and they came to New York. I said, I have a I convinced them to come out. I was in business three weeks. They were a sister company. And they come in and they really loved the, what you and Judy did. And you left. And they said, This is great. I said, oh, they said, Well, you know, just keep it. And uh, you know, next year, I know next year. It's like the second week in December, two weeks from Christmas. Yes. I canceled Christmas vacation. They I, I, I said, what do, you, what do you mean this year? Everything's closed. I said, no, it's not. I'm going to do this now. And you're going to see it. You're going to love it. If you don't love it, I've already done it. I'm putting it in this year and I'm doing it. Okay. You, you know, they, they actually went behind my back to the head guys and said, and, you know, my deal with the blockbuster people was as long as I was you know, going to Brazil with their money. Right. They're going to tr trust me, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I fill them in and I wasn't just totally autonomous, but they would say, well, what do you mean you're doing a show that you think is great? In fact, the blockbuster guy, Steve Bruard, when we premiered it at Nappy and Running Ahead, was blown away. It really helped me and the, the value of it, the psychic value of nightstand for you and me is profound it really we've is never, we've never really discussed the, the the genesis from my camera angle uh, no i so, i was always and that's why i always give you credit because the, no ex no but it's true but no executives just, just don't, don't do stuff credit. like that they don't, don't give sign credit don't give sign no 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 <laughs> he came in later we can talk about that too uh, I know. um so uh, no but it's I'm one kidding, of those I'm things kidding. where this and it's just never done is this pilot was pitched and then written produced and sold in yes in, in a month. month in one month and, and and i will tell you your audience you will well remember this um i mandated to my new company to the people that were involved in this sanders and those people 
Uh, I, I had never done anything this quickly, and that uh, you might have Christmas vacations, but if I'm canceling it, you're canceling <laughs> it. You know, because show business show, literally yes. shuts down for two weeks. Everybody goes literally. to Hawaii. Yeah, which one of the great, everybody goes. We were going skiing, but everybody, yes, goes either skiing or to Hawaii. Right. And uh, we got it done, and I remember that you weren't there, you were, maybe, I'm, I'm sure you heard about it. So now it's done, and I realize how brilliant it was brilliant you were brilliant no bullshit you were brilliant you were a great satirist that you know you're you're funny but to be a satirist is like um it's like i got a live arm i can throw a 98 but uh, guys can hit the 108 <laughs> you gotta move it okay you were the satirist has to appreciate it's all just playing it straight it's just playing things as straight dead, never never let dead, people dead, know dead. you're in on the joke never let them correct. know it's a joke correct yeah. correct and, and anyway your performance so so for everybody who didn't see the pilot your performance was spit up impossibly funny and it had a brilliance to it and so we brought it now that be his opening on a monday these guys from world vision playing golf got there wednesday it's now friday jay feldman and i fly up with the redoubtable cassette yes we're staying in this opulent suite at the i don't know where bellagio whatever you walk into this room you go holy shit <laughs> you know and I'm, I'm a little nervous because you know i mean i can't make them do this no you're on the line too. And I concurrently, mean, oh, I was on the line like you have no idea. If right. they, they would have bad mouth. They would have hurt me bad. It was a big. Our, our publicist, may R.I.P. Howard Bragman, great guy, lined up that story in the Wall Street Journal, which I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, they just we put the cassette in their VCR in their suite, and I remember John Ryan looking at his watch. It was like seven thirty, and you know, we, he said we got an eight thirty out. We have a dinner with clients with him. I put the thing in, and they were, by the end of it, Tim, I thought I'd have to resuscitate them. They were laughing so loud. Yeah. They, they, I thought I'd have to resuscitate them. They were spitting up. I mean, spitting up. Uh, to, to wait, well, you got to join us for dinner. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now you get invited. So, but I want to back up a little bit because one of the things that they did, which was, I think it was, Again, rest in peace, Gary Montanus. It was. I think it was his idea that what they did was because they didn't know if this thing was going to work. Very important. And they sent out press releases and they would send gifts to buyers from Dick Dietrich. No mention of the show, just Dick Dietrich. Let me clarify what they did. It was a campaign. You wouldn't believe what happened. I forgot about that aspect. It was brilliant. You know, everybody's got one brilliant thing, RIP. This (laughs) is his brilliant thing. So we have a month between our making it yeah. and, and getting some attention. And so John Rimes, we, can, we concluded, okay, you're going to make it. I can't stop you from making it, just like you can't stop me from selling it. But we're going to drop some stuff. We're going to to the key TV station buyers in the country. Yeah. Guys who run the group, same visual station. We're going to send to some key people, like we're going to send a, a, a Christmas ham from Dick Dietrich. <laughs> And we're going to send a bottle of a you know wine to a wine aficionado from Dick Dietrich. There was also and, a football sausage. Yeah, there was, was a, a giant football, football made of for your made of sausage for your New Year's Day viewing. Place. Yes, and we now we decide to take it out. 
And Ryan on Saturday now calls up some people. She says, I want you to meet with Little and me before that be officially opens. So they go in there and they all come, you know, they're doing business. This is, they might be playing golf, but they want to make sales and make buys. They come to Ryan's suite and you put the cassette in the one guy and you open up and you're, you stand up and Dick Dietrich, the guy says, Stop the stop the tape. Stop the tape. Uh, you, yeah, I, I, yeah, we were we harassed this guy. We were close to calling the FBI, <laughs> a public TV station, you know, a licensed television station. They were anyway. So he ran it. They loved it, and the rest is yes. That campaign gave brand awareness, coupled with Bragman getting that. The Wall Street Journal front page story about yes. the show. Remember that? Yes, that that and that really that was on day one of Napty of the of the convention. I remember there was just this buzz about the show. Yeah, it was something I'd never experienced in my career. It, we saw what viral marketing could do. It's a huge convention center in New Orleans, the one that got destroyed in the hurricane. And it was like ten football, twenty football fields. You'd walk any corridor. Right. I, it was impossible. And what you'd hear. There's this one show from World, World Vision. Yes. One show from World Vision. It's called Nightstand with Dick D. It was the talk of that convention. Yeah. I, it was it was just crazy. I, I want to uh, we're we're gonna take another break. I want to tell you about my experience because uh you'll also like this story. I'm talking to old friend TV executive Larry Little. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Now, for the first time this year, all the world's greatest public domain hits are in one place. It's Dick Dietrich's Private Moments Public Domain. Here, TV's Dick sing great songs like Papa Black Sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. You also get ABC. I never realized it was the same song until we taped that bit. <laughs> it never dawned on me it was the same song. So one of my favorite uh, nice name, Dick Dietrich's Private Moments, Public Domain. Anyway, um, so getting back to Las Vegas, this is the, I remember, because it was still like, there's buzz, there's buzz, but there's all this clearing of stations, all this lingo I know nothing about. But I remember at some point towards the end of the day, I guess it was on a Monday or a Tuesday, you came to me and you said, well, you're on the air. And I remember 
there was just this moment. We gave each other a hug, and I was just this moment of, I, because for me, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, all I ever wanted was my own TV show. That's all I ever wanted. My, that was the dream, to go to Hollywood and have your own TV show. And you came up to me and said, well, you're on the air. And I just this moment of just, like, stupefied. But this is the Dick this is the perfect Dick Dietrich moment. At the time, I had a torn meniscus, so I could I remember, walk, I remember, but, I, but I had I a limp. But I, I remember. But I could stand, I could do everything, and I was fine. I was also wearing the Dick Dietrich rug, you know, the toupee at the right, time. Right, right, right. So the, the day ends, <laughs> you're on the air, and I walk back across the street to the Mirage or whatever it was where I was staying, and yeah. it's pouring rain. <laughs> And here I, I've just been told, Tim, you're going to be on television with your own show. It's <laughs> pouring rain. I'm limping across Las Vegas Boulevard, and the toupee is starting to slide off my head from all the rain. <laughs> and I, I have to walk into the casino now, the big TV star. I'm a, I got my own TV show, and I'm, <laughs> I'm walking in holding <laughs> – holding the toupee and limping through the lobby. But then I go up to the room. I put ice on my knee and I call my wife. You have your own TV show. I call my wife and I say, you're not going to believe we're going to be on the air with a TV show. But I just thought that was perfect, Dick Dietrich. The great line would be, you go up to some like stranger this big, old woman smoking cigarettes and, you know, at the, at the slot machines and say, excuse me, ma'am, I like, I, I want to share my joy. I just got my own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> They'd call the cops. Um, so another thing I want to talk about from Nightstand was because um, as we were putting together uh, a writing staff, Larry mentioned the name Jim Stein. He wanted this guy, Jim Stein, on the staff and was like, okay, who is he? And then he said, Jim worked on Fernwood Tonight. And that's all I needed to hear. Because Nightstand was always to Jerry Springer what Fernwood Tonight was to the Mike Douglas show. Like, it, it, it you know, Mike Douglas had variety acts and all that. But it was, oh, Fernwood oh. was a wonderful show. And that's all I needed to hear. So another Nightstand story came up in season one where we, at this point, because Larry was, you were sort of moving offices. You were in Wilshire and you were waiting. Well, to, we, we went to the Sunset Garage Studios for the last, for seven years. Yes, eventually. But this was, you were on a, like, I think because spelling was there, you were over there. It was, it was a temporary yeah. office. So we didn't really have writer's rooms. Um, so we worked at Larry Strother's house, another writer's house. He had a big house in Toluca Lake. Yeah, I remember Jim that. Was there. I remember that. And it was going great. Like, we really, really liked Jim. But Jim had a Jim. partner at the time named Bob Isles. Mm. And I've talked to Jim about this. And, and I had talked about it when Jim and Dave were on the uh, podcast. Is, like, we loved Jim. But Bob Isles was just, he was the kind of guy who would just sort of, like, he, would la he wouldn't pitch anything. He would just laugh. And the laugh was sort of, we'd laugh like this. <laughs> we'd laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like it was an engine almost like you know the car can't that. start <laughs> <laughs> so then larry calls one day over to larry strawler's house no cell phones then and 
And uh, Larry's wife comes in and says, uh, Larry Little wants to talk to you. I was like, oh, okay. And I get on the phone and he goes, and Larry said, uh, look, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? And he goes, well, Jim Stein and Bob Isles have broken up and uh, only one of them is staying. <laughs> so now it's like a game show. And I said, did I say, I don't remember this. Did you I said only one of them is staying. And I'm praying. I, all I said, you, I said, Larry, please tell me it's Jim. Just tell me it's Jim. <laughs> and you said, yes, it's Jim. I said, oh, best call I've gotten in a long time. And, and it worked out great. You know, it yeah. was just uh, uh, Jim Stein and Dave Morgison were so integral in the writing. How did Morgison come in? Did you bring him in? I knew him from the Groundlings. He used to hire a bunch of Groundlings because he had come out of the world of corporate comedy. And so he would hire groundlings to do either little films or sometimes live shows. So I brought him in. And uh, that was really, I mean, Paul Abeda was a writer too. And Peter Keiko, one, I mean, the three of us had created the show, Peter, Paul, and myself. And But Peter was more of a hands-on guy. He was really great though. Really was talented. Wasn't Peter the line producer? He was line producer. He was also very good at editing though. Like he yeah. did all the editing. I never had. Well, to- a good a good line producer can be a good editor. There you um, go. And do you ever hear from those two guys? Uh, I have not. Um, yeah. No, I should check in with them because you know the clock is running. So yeah. Uh, right. so yeah. yeah, I should do that. Another yeah, that. another guy. Uh, th- there's all kinds of connections too with Nightstand because the other thing is. Because the next show I sold was Son of the Beach, which I sold to Jeremiah Bosgang at FX. Larry Little is the guy responsible for, I'm just going to say, creating, starting Jeremiah Bosgang. I am. And he would tell you, he made a movie about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, vi- he, like he was like a handyman installer, and then you got him a job in television. Well, he was a... He, he was a- University of Chicago graduate who had uh, done a lot of comedy work in Second City-ish, uh, the, the minor league Second City. He came out uh, to Los Angeles looking to become a performer writer. So he and he was he, right off the bat. You met this guy. You knew he had a game. Yes, he was very so, smart. To make really ends meet, he installed my stereo system. That's what I'm saying. He came to your. You met him. As an installation guy. Well, I met him with the understanding that the, the installation was part of the quid pro quo. If you okay. introduce him to people, no gotcha. problem. I'm happy to introduce you to people. That was the quid. Right. The quo was I got a nice setup for a stereo for cost. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Jeremiah, that turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And the yeah. other guy that... that was sort of the third amigo with you and Jim Stein, which you mentioned earlier, was Brandon Tartikoff, and who was the you know he's truly a legend in TV programming of <laughs> of, of really innovating like crazy innovation in television and in counter programming. I think he's sort of the guy who did that, or certainly brought it in the zeitgeist. The term counter programming. Well, I might have brought it in the zeitgeist. I I, I think that you're right about Brandon's uh, Brandon's uh, impact and creativity. Um, I can't say that he was the sponsor or the idea merchant of counter-programming. He knew how to manipulate the the counter-programming to his advantage often, but didn't come up with the idea. I I seriously, I just, uh, Larry, thank you again. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. And uh, 
I certainly wouldn't have had the career uh, that I had, which I love. I look back on it and done a bunch of other stuff and still working. Uh, I didn't do any plugs. I should plug Sprung on Amazon Freebie. Have you seen the show Sprung? I haven't. Oh, you'd love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy Greg Garcia, who I've worked for a bunch, and it's really, really good. So, uh, Larry, thank you so much for doing this. Really a pleasure. I'll see you tomorrow. We'll figure out out where and when. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Uh, Thank you to Dr. D, uh, the engineer. Thank you to Jeremiah Higgins. He's the guy who put all this together. Wonderful, wonderful guy who we're doing some other stuff with in reality television. So we can can talk about that later. Anyway, thank you again, Larry. Uh, It's a treat. It's always a treat talking to everybody. And tune in next time for It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all listeners we appreciate you and want to hear from you please send us your ideas at jeremiah at the jeremiah or on messenger on facebook or instagram the show is produced by executive producer jeremiah higgins and me your announcer tony kelly <laughs> <laughs>